Welcome to River Edge Podcasts. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Hello, I'm Chelsea. <laughs> good morning, good morning. Um, Zach and I have just been away in Melbourne for the week, so I got to prepare this in unfamiliar territory, but God came with me, so that's amazing and so good. Um, I was really expectant for this Sunday because I feel like I've had this word sort of stirring in me for a really long time, quite a few months. Um, and to be honest, I think it's, it's for me. God's really challenging me in this area. But I really would love to share it with you so that you can open yourself up to the challenge that God might be calling you into. And I'll be honest, it's not an easy one. Um, so if you want easy church... You didn't come to the right place today. (laughs) But the truth is, I think that God is doing something really powerful in his church right now. God is stirring, God's building. And I think if you feel like you're in a place of confusion, you're really having to hone your vision, you're really having to um, discipline yourself when it comes to the areas of God, I want to encourage you that you're doing the good work and you're, um, you're responding to the call And it's because God is calling us to something greater. Um, And the enemy will always try and dissuade and distract us from that. But just be encouraged. That's not your end. Um, Jesus is victorious over the works of the enemy. And so whatever he's trying to distract you with or um, discourage you with, God's doing something big. And that's just, that's just the nature of God. He's always doing something big, but I think in the life of the church right now, he's doing something really awesome. So um, John 15, I want to look at this morning, and this is going to be a hefty bit of scripture, but that's good for us, right? So let's get hefty. Let's get it. So John 15, verse 1 to 12, and we're just going to break it apart as we go. Um, also, I encourage you, take it home as homework. Take it home as soul spirit work. So verse 1 says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. So Jesus is the connection to our good gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So you can see that the father gardener has his hand on every one of the branches. There isn't ones that he refuses to not have anything to do with. He interacts with every part of the vine. Um, And so Jesus now invites us into this. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So that means, that word clean means that we've been purified. Um, in In the original text, it actually uses an example. It says, you are like a vine cleansed by pruning and so fitted to bear fruit. And that's not by anything we've done, that is because of, Jesus says, the words that I've spoken to you. So we need his word in us. Verse four, remain in me as I also remain in you. Remain, remain. Or another version says, abide. Abide in me as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I love this because Jesus does not beat around the bush with us. He's saying, look, this this is the way and I'm not going to promise that there's any other way. If you abide in me, I'll abide in you and your life will bear fruit. If you don't, it won't happen. Simple as. And and so um, the world and 
everything. We'll try and say, well, there's also this way and there's the, this fruit. But Jesus says, that's not actually true. <laughs> that, that's not the way. He says, remain in me, I'll remain in you, and your life will bear fruit. This is the way, for those that watch The Mandalorian. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. <laughs> um, Star Wars, right? I was raised on it. The Bible and Star Wars. <laughs> Thank you, Callum. Oh, Ezra. <laughs> I know it was a, wasn't the greatest last episode, right? Uh, <laughs> so, and I just, I love, go Ezra, get it. Just scream it out. Let it, let it out. The, the remaining is so integral to our life with God. So integral. I'm going to get stuck here and that's okay. But I don't know. Lately, I've been thinking so much about how when we say yes to Jesus, you know, there's an altar call. We're invited to do the salvation prayer. A lot of us in the room have done that before where we say yes to Jesus and, and you know, we we confess that he died for our sins. Those who believe and call on his name shall be saved. But, but that's not life with Jesus. That's the, that's the first step. And dad's been saying that lately. This is your first step to this life with Christ. And so we can't, we can't survive on the first step alone. There's more. There's more than that. Um, and so we just have to remain. We have to keep abiding. And the good thing about God is that he didn't, he didn't make us to just survive on very little of him. He has ample supply, unending supply of himself for us. But we only get to enjoy that when we do the remaining, we do the abiding. And I'm going to get into what that looks like practically after we get through this um, bit of scripture, but I'm just so glad that he made us to remain in him and not just survive off one encounter, one experience with his presence. Um, he hasn't, he doesn't release his, his word in chapters, you know, like we've got a whole word that's complete. Uh, we, we do now. Anyway, so I'll, I'll continue, but, but I just love that Jesus is saying there's actually no other way. There's, there's no other way. And so we'll continue on. <clears throat> Verse five, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, he repeats himself, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's the world's doing a lot of nothing. Even if it looks like something, uh, what it ends in, its lasting effect is not eternal. And so it amounts to nothing. At the end of the day, it, all of those pursuits become quite worthless because they're not founded in the eternal God. Verse 6, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. And I, just, I also just love this because... It, you know, if you read the if you read this verse in a certain way, it might sound like Jesus is threatening you, and saying, "Look, if you're not nice to me, you can't come to my birthday party," um, and that's just it. Like these are the consequences for your actions. But the thing is, is that Jesus is making it so simple for us. He's saying, "This is the way. It's fruit. It's it's prosperity in me. I've got the way for you. If you choose not to go down this path." 
This is what will happen naturally, as a natural consequence. And he's not saying it as a threat to punish us and say, if you don't do this, if you don't do what I say, this is what's going to happen and I'm going to make it happen. He's, he's outlining what will happen naturally as a consequence. You know, it's like sin, the natural consequence of sin is death. The wages of sin are death because it's without God and God's life. So it's just the opposite. If you can think about it like that, don't worry, Jesus isn't threatening you. Um, and he's not warning you of how he's choosing to punish you. He's just saying, I have all of this for you. To, to go without it is to go without it. And so he's just trying to warn us. So we'll continue this. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. When we're intertwined with God, he really helps us. Uh, I love how it's like wish. I don't know. I grow up like not wishing for things. You like pray for things instead and yet here it is. Anyway, um, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, all for God's glory, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. What a promise. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So his promise to us is joy. He operates in love. He is love. So naturally, when we're doing that, that remaining, when we're doing that abiding, love um, is stored up in us and it's what overflows out of our lives. And the best bit is that it is for God's glory so that we become a shining light and a vessel to the world. We've got something to offer and it's not just us. It's God. So... In applying this to my life, I've found, and some of you may agree, that I am actually at my best when I'm abiding in God's presence. (laughs) I have the best attitude about my work, about my family, about the people that I interact with that may grate against me. I am my best when I'm choosing this way of life, choosing to remain. And there's a stark contrast between that me and the me that runs myself dry from God's presence. A lot of you in this, well, all of you in this room today have positioned yourself here, I think because you see a worth in being here. You're not trying to put on a show from anyone in this room for anyone in this room because chances are they might not remember that you came today. Um, You know, you're not doing it so like Pastor Steve is like, oh, good job, you made it. Well, I hope not because it's probably not going to (laughs) happen. Right? Good job. Good job. But it's not for that that we come. (laughs) But but, um, I don't know. I just wanted to remind you, you're your best when you're connected with the Father. And it's like simple. This is going to be pretty simple today. But that's when you're at your best. So that's why it says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first and the rest will be added unto you because, like, that's the priority. So, why? We have to look at why sometimes we don't abide in Christ and we'll have our own lists. But generally, it will be things like we're busy, there's pressures to perform, 
or be present from ourselves or from others, or we just are going through a lack of motivation and focus or just exhaustion. So the last thing that you think about or the last thing you feel like doing is picking up the word or spending some time in prayer. I think that God understands these areas of our life, but he's given us this beautiful thing called discipline. (laughs) Um, and diligence and responding with obedience. And the thing is, even when you don't feel like doing it, you can do it. <laughs> so, and like, oh, this this is me right now. I'm like, Chelsea, discipline. You're a disciple of Jesus. Now discipline yourself to do what's good for you. It's wisdom to do what's good for me, to respond to this invitation that Jesus has given me. And I want to look at Matthew eleven twenty nine. It might look like a, a bit of a weird one to bring in uh, when we're talking about discipline. But Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. You will. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. So this morning, my the title of my message is Remember the Rest. Remember the Rest. Because remembering is about reattaching it to us. Remembering. You have members of your body, your arms and your legs and other bits and pieces. Remembering it is reattaching it. And so I think that rest in God is a integral and very important part of our lives that we are to remember. Um, I used to have this kids joke book and one of the one of the jokes in it was what do you call it when a kid is fighting to go to bed? Resisting arrest. Ha <laughs> love that one. Love that one. <laughs> but at the same time it's like that kid's joke is like, oh when when am I when am I resisting a rest in God? Like, how often am I resisting arrest? If anyone here is resisting arrest, by the way, you're in the house of God. Um, <laughs> I highly doubt that that's the case for anyone. But, but like, how, how, how often do we resist God's rest? Because, like, we're, we just put other things first. We just put other things in, in that place and we say we make it a later priority. Um, but this... This word for rest in Matthew eleven twenty nine that we just read um, means intermission, a cessation. Is that the way you pronounce it? Cessation, cessation of any motion, business or labor. It's it's rest. It's recreation. Um, so it's taking a break from all of those things, turning off the emails and the phone and all of the avenues that someone might get at you with. Um, that has to do with your responsibilities or your to-do list, taking a cease from all of those things. Um, and it's, it's in the Bible, recreation, doing something that will fill you in a different way. Um, and we're just, I think we're sadly a little bit too addicted to accomplishment to know what's good for us sometimes. It's good to, it's good to get things done. It's very good to accomplish things. Um, and I think God very much honours a godly work ethic, but if it gets in the way, it's getting away from God's intention. Um, and I know this, like I run, I run a small business, I'm a photographer, and so I can 
all of my inquiries come after hours when other people want to get in touch with me. And so I have emails come up in my on my phone and I'll wake up sometimes in the middle of the night and have an email from a client and then I'll be thinking about it, right? And, and I'm like, That's, this is my time for rest. What am I doing? Um, but you can just have so many interruptions in your life. And there's this C.S. Lewis quote that I did not write down, so this is going to be a butchering of it. But he says, the minute you wake up, it's like the voices of everything come at you at once. I think he describes them as monsters or something like that. It all will come rushing at you. It's not likely that you'll wake up and be like, oh, clear mind. What What do I have to do today? Or if that's you, like, come lay hands on us afterwards. <laughs> it's probably Rachel Jasper. Um, <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but I love Rachel. I went to her house, oh, and she was just like, I'll pop the kettle on and I'll make you a warm cup of tea just in case you need to scull it and then keep going. <laughs> like, who does that? <laughs> It was amazing in case it's too hot and you're too busy. And I was like, yeah, I am. <laughs> but um, so it, it comes rushing at us and it says that, C.S. Lewis's quote says that it, like, it takes diligence to then find the still small voice of the Lord um, in amidst the loud voices, you know, the roaring of the lion. He goes around roaring like a, like a roaring lion. Um, I actually just wanted to look at what a yoke looks like, just in case you don't know, because we use, we talk about yokes in the Bible, we quote scripture. Um, so Darcy's got a picture of a yoke for me. Yeah, not an egg yoke. This is an animal yoke because Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Um, and can I just reiterate that promise? You will find rest for your souls. You will. It's not like, I know I've read that scripture so many times and it's like, and you will find rest for your souls. But it's a promise. You, you will. You will find rest for your souls. And it implies that there actually isn't rest anywhere else. Um, take my yoke upon you and you will find rest for your souls. Don't take my yoke upon you. You'll be searching for the rest. You'll be looking for it in every other avenue. Um, but if you take my yoke upon me, you will find it. You'll find the rest for your souls. So this is what the yoking looks like. So Jesus is one cow and you get to be the other one. How good. So just if some of you guys want to print that out, put in a little photo frame. And if someone asks what the heck it is, you can say, that's me and the Lord. That's it's my little reminder to stay yoked to Jesus. Or better yet, give it to someone as a gift. I think that's, you know... <laughs> God led me to give this to you. <laughs> yeah. We could do some car. Anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, Lily um, introduced this. Intru- Lily told me the story about someone that was using um, spending time with God in the analogy of spending time with their spouse. And they were saying, I can't, I can't measure the time that I spend with my spouse when we're just hanging out, you know, on the weekend and everything. If someone said, how many minutes did you spend uh, with your spouse over the weekend? You won't like jot down, we had this bracket and then, you know, I went to the other room and yada, yada. It's, it's this remaining. Again, it's we were in each other's space. 
And so when, they were, when I wanted to talk to them, they were there. When I wanted to show them something funny, they were there. And it's very much the same with God. Um, the remaining looks like knowing that you're in each other's space. And God wants to hang around with you so much. Um, and it's like our response that we get to hang around with him as well. And so I don't think, I don't know, if you're struggling with the like reading the Bible, praying, um, sharing the good news, try and just ask for the Lord's help. Ask for the Holy Spirit's help to maybe break you free from that way of thinking of, of breaking it down into the brackets. Like you'll come to love those things. Can I just say, you, you'll come to long for those things um, when you're asking for the Holy Spirit's help. If you're struggling, ask for his help. Lord, give me the desire for your word. Help me to remember it. Help me to store it up in my heart because I, I desire to desire that. I long to desire that. Um, and just like our, our souls are part of us, rest for our souls. It's our inner world. And I think it, it really pays for us to pay attention to our inner world. I've heard about um, this one psychiatrist talking about someone that was struggling with some extreme mental health disorders. And they said the main issue is that they will refuse to acknowledge an inner world. Everything is everyone else's problem, everyone else's fault, and they cannot, they cannot see their own responsibility and their own inner world. Um, but I think that that's too common. I think that's pretty common in the world is always looking outward and not looking inward. Um, because sometimes it's scary to look inward. Sometimes it's scary to be alone with our thoughts. Sometimes it's scary um, to know how we really are going. And I think a lot of us, at some point or another, will probably have a time where we're afraid to, you know, look at certain areas of our heart and things like that because it's too much. Um, if you've experienced anything hard or traumatic in your life, those, those spaces in your heart and in your soul can be really hard to revisit. But the Holy Spirit goes with us to every single part of these areas of our life. So nothing's too big for him. Nothing is too big for him. I want to look at Hebrews 3, where it talks about responding to God's rest. Um, so Hebrews 3, 7 to 11, and then verse 19. I'll just read it. You can read along. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And then verse 19, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. I've just been so drawn to this passage of scripture looking for, you know, how, how did the hardening of the heart happen whilst they were watching God move, while they were watching him you know, perform miracles and making a way for them? How was it that they never got to enter the rest God had for them? How did they get to that place of unbelief um, to the point that it became a blockage, an absolute, you know, blockage, and and it looks like the invitation was lost. And then we're being re-invited in, in Hebrews. Um, if we go on to Chapter 4, verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It remains 
For anyone who enters God rests also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So we can see, you know, disobedience at the very end. We need obedience. We need discipline. We need the longing for his good things so that our life can take the trajectory that it was always meant to. God, God's just designed it so well. And if I can encourage you in anything today, it's that you can trust God that he has the very best for your life. And so taking time away from all of the other things or taking time away even from your usual patterns of thinking, your usual patterns of responding, if you're quick to anger, quick to get jealous, quick to accuse, taking time away from those things and trusting God instead. And say, I'm going to try something on that's different for a change, God. I'm going to try and apply love to this. I'm going to try and apply some understanding or some grace to this. Taking time away from that is stepping into this this obedience and it will be the softening of our hearts to what God has for us. Um, I really want to tell you this story. Let's see if I've got time. Just do it. Done. Um, so I read this book, Take the Day Off by Robert Morris. Some of you are immediately like, thanks, yes, I'll, I'll buy five. Um, <laughs> so take the day off. But he's talking about the Sabbath and employing the Sabbath in our life. And some of you might have your own, um, you know, take on, on the Sabbath and if it's for us still today. But I think there's so much in, in it for us. Um, the, the one thing that I've heard said a bit about it that I love is that it's literally a, a weekly time of remembering our covenantal dependence on God. Because he's made covenant with us. And so he's made it this way on purpose. It's not something, like if I can say this, it's not something we get to choose when it comes to Christianity, whether we get to have a covenant with God or not. It comes, it comes with it. It's the whole package. And so he made us to depend on him. It's the, the same, that you're, same way, and I've said this before, the same way that your TV has a plug into the wall, you need God. Because otherwise you just, the TV won't turn on you won't last very long. And so at the, at the bottom, the base of it, what am I trying to say? You need God. <laughs> and to do life without him is to choose the path of running out very quickly, running out of steam very quickly. Um, he is our sustenance. So, and, and like, it's okay to need God. It's so okay to need him. You know, if you're flipping out and you're having a crazy week and you're snapping at everyone to say, all right, I just need, I need to take a break. I need to go spend some time with God and, and nut this out with him. That's like the most admirable thing that you can do. It's not to push yourself through it. It's not to blame other people or to go and get those things done so that you can, you know, attain a tiny bit of like accomplishment, tick the box, endorphins or whatever. The best thing that you can do is... Go away by yourself, flesh it out with God. If that looks like screaming or crying or doing whatever you need, do it. <laughs> do it because, you know, just doing it with God is the best way to do it. <laughs> or at least that's the way it is for me. <laughs> All right, so we're going to look at this story. Um, 
This is February 9, 1945. This guy owns a boat company called Correct Craft and he receives a telegram on his desk that says, how many boats can you make in 19 days? Because um, the Allies had just taken France. Is This is the Second World War. <laughs> I'm always careful. Um, <laughs> I wasn't where, I wasn't there. So General Eisenhower, like what a name. General Eisenhower and his men had a pressing need. They needed 529 boats, 569 boats made so that they could storm the rest of France, go across the ocean. Look, I don't know all the details super well. I know the, I know the, the next details very well. Um, so it says the invasion of Germany, oh, they're invading Germany, there you go, uh, would require... <laughs> would require quickly moving tons of equipment and tens of thousands of men across the wide Rhine River. This task had fallen to the army combat engineers who now found themselves needing 569 storm boats, eight men, high-speed assault boats with 55 horsepower outboard motors that could quickly cross a river and beach at speed, thus allowing the soldiers on board to storm the other side. So they were called storm boats. So this was called Operation Plunder plunder. And that's why Ralph Maloon's family ski boat company and two other boat makers found themselves talking to army engineers. So they put the cold out and said, how many boats can you make in 19 days? Don't you love like a last minute request? Um, so he, Ralph Maloon's company had now been making 48 boats per month. So 30 days, 48 boats. They were asking, how many can you make in 19? So they prayed about the request and then they committed their company to, to produce 300 and to do so by February 28th. So this has come on February 9th and 28th, they said that they can make 300 by. <clears throat> but this window of time involved three Sundays and Mr. Maloon and his company had always taken Sundays off to commit it to the Lord. And they also had, um, in the middle of their Wednesday, a chapel service. And so they were saying, well, can we get this done if we still honour um, our Sundays off and if we still have this chapel service? <laughs> this is a great story. So he put God's promises to the test and God's reputation on the line. <laughs> it's a good thing you can put on the line. Even so, the effort did not get off to an encouraging start. After closing the factory on that first Sunday, the number of boats they managed to complete on Monday totaled exactly one. <laughs> ah, one boat. <laughs> they now had 15 days to make 299 more boats. <laughs> and their current rate was one a day. <laughs> on Tuesday, they tripled their production, woo, and made three boats. On Wednesday, they finished six more. They managed this even though the entire operation paused in the middle of the day on Wednesday to hold their usual midweek chapel service. After three days of production, they had 10 boats. They were still trying to get other workers for additional shifts, um, and the slow start had sent Mr. Maloon and his extended family to their knees. How good. They gathered in his home that night to pray and seek the Lord's wisdom. They didn't have to wait long for an answer. Mr. Maloon recalls that very night, my brother Walt was inspired to try a new machine and one change on the present jig. So they applied these changes. They ordered a new machine. 
By February 19, one week after beginning their efforts, the pace of production had risen to 42 boats a day. So they'd gone from 48 a month to 42 in one day. In that second week, it became clear to the government officials that their, to their utter astonishment, Correct Craft was going to meet its target of 300 boats ahead of schedule and do so, do so while shutting down each Sunday to rest and worship. Remember the two other boat companies that had been contracted to fulfill the rest of General Eisenhower's request? They were falling behind, even though they were running three shifts seven days a week. So the government asked Mr. Maloon if his company could manage an additional 100 boats by the deadline, upping their total to 400. He said yes, and they made it happen. In fact, the entire order was delivered ahead of time. Um, when it came to storming Germany the Army Field Commanders discovered that only Mr Maloon's boats were correctly designed to accommodate the outboard motors needed. And so they were the only boats they could use properly for the intended task. The company was shortly thereafter awarded the Army Navy E Award for excellence in production and the press dubbed the manufacturing feat a miracle production. How cool! <laughs> So, to the people with big to-do lists and impossible tasks ahead of them, you might be able to look and see what you're able to do, but you can't look and see what God's able to do, <laughs> right? And I love that about him. He talks about the mystery of Christ, and there's so much mystery in God in that we can't understand, we can't calculate what he's able to do. We can't foresee it. You can foresee that he's faithful to who he says he is, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> you know that he's going to be faithful. You know that he's good. You know that he's loving, he's kind, that he's sovereign, that he's, he wants to be Lord and that he won't let you down. But what that looks like in your life is yet to be found out. So, hey, put his reputation on the line. <laughs> put him to the test. See what promises he's able to produce in your life and let it be out of your discipline, your obedience, what you choose uh, to risk <laughs> for the sake of seeing God come around for you. Um, I'll quickly just give you these practical little areas that Robert Morris also mentions in his book and it's the four tanks that we get to fill. I'm going to rush through these but you have, he says you have four tanks. You have a spiritual, a physical, an emotional and a mental tank and these all need to be filled for us to have you know a, a, a fairly balanced life um he actually talked about a time that he was speaking to a friend that said he had so much going on um he was actually doing quite well in terms of all of the areas of his life with his family his business and everything like that but he said I just feel down there's just something missing. Um, and so Robert said to him, how about I write you a script? And so he wrote him a script. He said, after we hop off the phone, why don't you go take a nap, spend some time in prayer, invite your family over for dinner and watch a funny movie with them. And that was his script. And he said, you know, this is attending to the four tanks. Um, and that's just us. God made us in a certain way because we're humans. He made us this way that we have these needs. And it's super important to be aware of those Needs. So if you're only attending to one, if you're only sleeping to attend to the physical deficit, there's probably more that needs to be done um, to feel ourselves emotionally, 
reinvigorate ourselves mentally, but most importantly, fill us spiritually. Because I think because of that principle of seeking first the kingdom of God and the rest shall be added, when we allow ourselves to be filled spiritually by the Lord, it's amazing how those how that area can overflow into the other areas. And mum's spoken about this um, earlier in the year, but we must fill that area of our lives because it will, by default, fill the other areas. Um, it's amazing how you can go on little sleep, but a lot of God. It's amazing how you can go on, you know, a little little emotional attentiveness in terms of, you know, maybe encouragement or quality time with people in your life. But as long as you're filled up on God, like you can, you do well, <laughs> you can do very well. Um, and it's all in that covenantal dependence on God. And might I just say, this, this takes laying down pride. And if there's a part of you that refuses to, to do this way of life and you're like, well, God, I just don't have time for you or that's nice for other people, um, identify the pride that's speaking because we, we must be aware of when we're putting ourselves in God's place in our life. And if you are, we've talked about this a lot in church lately, if you are providing for yourself, you know, attending to your own needs, all of those things, um, don't take God's place in your life because he is your provider. He is your strength in weakness. Um, and how liberating that is. And can I just say, especially for men, Dad touched on men this morning in our prayer meeting, um, the best thing that you can do is depend on God in these areas of your life. It's the best thing you can do for finding a wife, for looking after your wife, for looking after your family or dreaming of a family. It's the best thing that you can do is learn to be dependent on God, self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I just have a few more scriptures for those that want to go a little bit deeper in this. Romans 12. I know I've given you a lot of Bible, but it's the best I've got for you. Um, <laughs> Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy that he's poured out in your life, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, and it will fill you up. It will satisfy you. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I encourage you, let this sink deep into your souls um, and watch God move in your life. Finally, I'd love to just read out of Philippians 3 because this just struck me um, this last week. Where are you? There. After Ephesians, Philippians. <clears throat> oh, and Paul is just like so honest <laughs> and he very much uses his life to testify of God's goodness. So he's talking about, you know, we are... We are the ones who serve God by His Spirit, who now boast in Christ and who get to put no confidence in the flesh. Um, and he says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. So he lays it out. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. <laughs> I was circumcised on the eighth day, which is a pretty big deal back then, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, so that was also a big deal. He was in the, the family line. 
um, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, also a big deal. As for zeal, persecuting the church, big deal. (laughs) As for righteous based on the law, faultless. So he was like, I'm just doing great. Crushing it. If other people are looking for someone to follow, it'd be me because I'm doing good. But, and this is the transformation of his life, but whatever were gains to me, whatever I had against my name, when people thought of me and they thought of these accomplishments, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, or I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And this is our invitation, to press on for that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I think, um, you know, you hear the classic testimony of I gave up all of this to follow Jesus. But it's not much that we gave up to follow Christ. We gave up little for the much of Jesus. We gave up little. We gave up worthless stuff for the abounding worth, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus to be our Lord, to be my Lord. And so whatever is, is behind, we strain onward towards the prize, towards that which He has given for us, that which He has won for us. So this is why my invitation to you is to remember the rest, reattach it to your life. Attend to those areas of your life. Attend to the spiritual side of you, the spirit man inside of you that needs filling, that needs nourishing. Um, I'd love to finish in prayer with you all if that's right. So if you wouldn't mind standing with me, if you can. Let's just position ourselves. I'm going to pray, but if you want to pray over the top of me, that's so fine. Um, But I would just love to pray that, that that view of Paul's, that all of it is a loss. Every accomplishment that I could dream of, every goal that my life could, could come to reach, it is, it is all nothing apart from Christ. And so, Father, this morning, we just come before you. Thank you for the ways that you have um, made things to be. Thank you that you are our life source. You are the one that we call on, God, and you are the one that makes life worth anything. 
And so, Father, I pray that we would come to abide in You in a fresh way, in a new way, Lord. Show us one thing or a few things that we can do this week to grow in our relationship with You, Lord. Free us from restricted, limited ways of thinking about um, how we can flourish in our relationship with You, God. And would You free us into the goodness that You have for us. Free us into a life lived, yoked to You, Jesus. Help us not to um, be, be distracted and so we're pulling at that yoke away from you, but help us to just love walking beside you, walking with you, existing with you and doing life with you, Lord. And above all else, may we just come to know the surpassing worth of knowing you, Lord. Help us to know you more each day, Father. Let there be an ease to the discipline. Let there be an ease to the obedience that is required of us, Lord, to live in this way, Lord. May our appetite for all other things just grow dull and our appetite for You be enlivened, be awakened, Lord. For those that are struggling right now, that are depleted and exhausted, would You invigorate them by Your Holy Spirit, Lord. Come alongside us. You are our strong tower, our refuge, our our source of strength, Lord. Apart from You, we can do nothing. But Lord, with You, everything is on the horizon. Thank You, Father. Thank You, Father. We just want to honour You with our lives, help our lives to be a living sacrifice that brings glory to Your name, Lord. And what an honour it is to serve You. The greatest honour that our life could ever have, Lord, is to serve and love and know You. In your name, Jesus, we pray and we thank you. We thank you so much, Lord. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thanks for joining today. If you'd like to know more about service times or simply want to find out more about church, head to our website, riveredgechurch.com.au.